My name's George Boo. I'm a commercial development manager at Acquired.com. Um, I've also got my my boss here, Justin Hanna. Um, he's the head of sales as well. So the reason I wanted to chat to you is I've been consuming a lot of your content over the last six months. So if you do develop any business from us in the future, you can definitely attribute that back to podcast and social. Um, so, and I really believe in what you're saying and I really understand and, and I can really whenever you talk and, and equally the content that you post is, is really resonates with me as a person and what I want to do. Um, but now it's a case of just trying to convince the wider group and the wider business as to the strategy that you uphold, the strategy that you, uh, that you, that you, that you implement with businesses. So mm-hmm. can you just describe, I actually want to go into a little bit about you and your career, because I know that you started in sales and then you obviously went into into your own into your own businesses, Refine Labs. So, just a bit of context as to why you started Refine Labs and what you were doing prior. That would be that would be a great place to start. Yeah, well, well, misconception. I was never actually a quota carrying sales rep until I started my company. Um, okay. But since then, have closed somewhere between twenty five and thirty million dollars in deals, and can effectively say I'm a in, in less than four years, I can say I'm a salesperson at this point. Um, but I started my career as a as a B2B professional. It was in product management, in manufacturing and operations, in supply chain, in demand gen, in content creation. Um, and then in 2016, 17, I just saw the same pattern. Company sales processes were becoming way less effective. They were, uh, pipeline was stagnant or going down. People kept saying, what's the ROI of marketing? You generate all these leads and you get no actual pipeline. Sales is saying, Marketing's not doing anything. And it's like, because we're doing the wrong shit. That's why, that's why, that's why sales and marketing aren't aligned. That's why marketing isn't delivering what they want. That's why sales is thinking marketing's not helping. It's because we're doing the wrong shit. And mm-hmm. so just started to build what I thought was the right thing that I thought was customer centric in 2017. I proved it out at two different startups. And then I started my own company because I realized how many companies were struggling with this. I thought it was just the companies that I worked for. And then I look out and say, wow, every company uses the MQL KPI still. Wow. Every company is getting 2000 leads and the sales team saying all these leads suck. Wow. People keep sending webinar leads to the sales team and get no deals from it. People are still running email nurtures. People still don't spend money on LinkedIn or Facebook ads. And just so, so I saw a bunch of these patterns and then started my company. And then over the past four years, I've worked personally with at least 100 B2B companies. And my companies work with more than 250. And you just rapidly accelerate the pattern recognition. You see the same patterns over and over. The same things that I saw consulting with a $100 million company in 2019, I still see today consulting with a different $100 million company. So many MQLs, we're hitting our stage one opportunity goal, but sales is missing their pipeline target and sales is missing quota by 30, 40, 50%. Why is, what is, what is going on here? And it's like, well, it's because the MQLs don't translate perfectly to revenue, which is why you see this misalignment. Um, And so, and a lot of companies have tried to evolve in the way that they do it by looking at influenced revenue or adopting quote unquote ABM or like other things like that. But the core, this, I think the same core issues still exist today. For sure. I want to cover something that I actually heard you talk about on a podcast recently, which is, and you quoted, because we can't measure it, it must not be working. 
Now, that's something that I, I, I kind of stuck with me. Um, and I want you to dive into that a little bit more. What, what do you mean by that? And why? I said, yeah, I'm just, what, what did you mean by that? And explain that in a bit more detail. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's actually even a, an evolved thought from when I posted that, which is that if we can't measure it based on the way that we decided 10 years ago that we're going to measure marketing and sales, then it must not be working. That must not be the reason that we need to think differently about the KPIs that we set and how we measure things. It can't be that. It has to be that it's not working, Right. And so at the early like maturity of the B2B internet, which I would say is the late 2000s and early 2010s, all this technology and MarTech came on the market saying we need marketing, we can't see any ROI, it's time for marketing to prove down to every dollar. And you saw this big sort of push to, to measure everything. All that technology still exists today, built on how the world worked and in, in the internet worked in 2010 which is that people find out about things in other places, they go to Google, they search for something, they come to your website and they convert on something. The internet is fundamentally different 10 years later. Facebook barely existed in 2010. And now you think about all the other social networks that have fundamental scale and how people consume things. And we still measure that we still use the same measurement technology and the same underlying stuff that we did in 2010 to measure the effectiveness. And so it's just, it's challenging the idea that if, if uh, we can't, the common thinking right now is if we can't measure it, it must not be working. And people need to rethink it and say, if we can't measure it, we need to find out a way to measure it if we think it's important. Yeah. And on that, Chris, it's a good point. I think from a, from a head of perspective, I always have reverse engineered. If we want an SCR to bring in 500 leads, I need to speak to 5,000 customers at a 10% hit rate. And then to that, we then put a number against that. Uh, George has come in, show me your podcast. Um, and I've probably finally realized that instead of trying to reach out, how do you get customers to reach out to us? Uh, and it's this whole lead generation outreach compared to demand generation, and how we kind of create that. Um, and I find it sometimes difficult to be able to relay that up the line. So it'd be good to and get maybe understand your thoughts on kind of demand generation versus lead generation. Yeah, I think there's a really, really, really simple way to look at it, which is that you have two fundamentally different groups of buyers. You have buyers that are not in market to buy your solution. They're not out there looking for it. They're not having internal conversations about it. They're not on your website. They're not on your competitor's website. They're not attending your events. Even if they are attending your events, they're probably still not in market. you got this whole group. It's probably somewhere between 95 to 99% of the market. And then you have the people that are in market to buy. They're in Google searching for solutions. They're on review sites looking for the stuff. They might be on your website. They might be coming to your event. They might be answering your salesperson's email. They might be having meetings. They might stop by your booth at an event. They might, so many different things. And to have a fundamentally different strategy for those two buyers seems very obvious where most companies just blend them all into one and they run a lead gen strategy to all the people that are not in market so then their sales team has to follow up with people that don't want to buy. That's basically what lead gen is. The only way to get scale of lead gen necessary to make that like funnel that you talked about work that's super inefficient is to get thousands and thousands of people because the average conversion rate to close one is 0.1%, one in a thousand. So you need immense scale, which means that you got your marketing team sending 999 out of the thousand leads that your sales team talks to or engages with that go nowhere. It's wasting your sales team's time. It's annoying your prospect. It's wasting your marketing dollars. There's so many hidden costs to running this type of system. And so by understanding that, hey, 
when there are people that are looking to buy, we're going to get intent data from our uh, review site providers. We're going to look at who's visiting our website and get website de-anonymization. Those are times to trigger sales outreach. When people are on our website from accounts, those are the times. Those are the times to buy Google ads. When people are searching, how do I buy this solution or what is the price for this company? That's the time to buy a Google ad. And so when you, when you see intent, you act one way. You act one way as a business, as a marketing team and as a sales team to those specific segment of buyers. And when you don't have that level of intent, you have, we should assume that those buyers are not looking to buy and we should act differently and we should invest differently and we should measure differently. Um, I think that's a pretty, a, a pretty simple framework that people could follow as a level one. Um, and then you could keep going from there. Okay. And based on that, like as we're, we're talking about kind of convincing the upper levels and the C-level C team, what metrics should be tracked in regards to rather than it just being how many calls are SDRs making, how many cold emails are SDRs making, and therefore what the conversion rate of that is, what metrics should we, should we track? Yeah. What specifically are you trying to change? The mindset here is um, if we go to our C-level and we invest £150,000 into five SDRs, um, what's the difference between investing that £150,000 into jumping on the content piece and getting people when they are looking at us in the first place, as opposed to people who do not want to buy from us? Got it. So the, the decision really here is we have additional funding to try and gr drive growth. Where is the optimal place to put that funding? Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I think the, the best way to look at this originally is to try and categorize the expenses into three core buckets. Is this expense to try to create demand? To try and go out and get people that are not in market, the 99%, 95, 99% that we talked about, to learn and consider being in market to buy our solution, that's one. Is it to capture demand? Is it when somebody's going to Google and searching that we buy the ad? Is it that when someone goes to a review site, we're paying per lead? Is that when somebody comes to our website, we can see what company they came from, and then we have our SDRs go and send emails to them to try and get a meeting? How much investment is going to capturing demand? And then how much investment is going to converting demand? The entire sales headcount and commission structure. Um, if we run events for a like big company, you know, it's going to be a seven-figure deal. We're going to fly out there and host an event. It's going to cost ten grand. That would be part of uh, expense to convert demand. Try and stack all of the net new acquisition expenses and force rank them into those three buckets. And what you'll find is that no investment spent on creating demand. And so it's just, you could build together three different things. And at, at some company's level, I'm not sure what scale you're at, but at some company's level that maybe they shouldn't be spending any, like you're, you're going to sell a you know, childcare CRM or some niche product you have zero in revenue, but people are actually looking for it. Like maybe you shouldn't invest in creating demand right out the gate. Maybe you should just try and capture and convert the stuff that already exists. But when you reach some level of scale in every category, which could be 5 million ARR and it could be 50 million ARR, it depends on the category, that at some point that level of demand is going to hit stagnant. And in order to continue to grow at the rate that you want, you're going to have to create demand. So it's sort of about but looking at those three things and presenting it to the executive team and saying, here's where the budget actually, here's how we see the budget actually being sit between all three of these things. If we're going to deploy this 150, maybe it would be better appropriate to balance the budget over here, focused on this as a long-term thing, knowing that at some point what we're investing in right now is going to run out. If you go from five SDRs to a hundred, you're not going to 20 X your revenue. 
it just doesn't scale like that, right? So uh, at some point, like there's continuous diminishing returns in SDRs, in Google ads, in almost every sales and marketing thing, you will hit, you will have diminishing returns. And so, yeah, I, I would try and bucket the expenses there. And then the next part of it was like, how do you, how do you measure it? Right. I would set up, and I'm thinking out loud here. I don't have a framework for this yet, but I'm th thinking out loud here. I think everyone's, every B2B company has figured out how to measure converting demand, right? It's sales, sales cycle, win rate, ACV, pipe sales velocity, sales productivity, quota attainment. There's plenty of shit out there on how you measure that. B2B companies have pretty much figured out how to measure capture demand too. The main issue that they have is that they put all the demand creation things under those metrics too. So capturing demand, it's like uh, cost per qualified opportunity that comes from Google ads. Uh, how, you know, cost per meeting from SDR outbound, right? The people have, there are metrics to measure capturing demand as well. What people miss is that we have this whole other thing called creating demand, but we don't set appropriate metrics for them. And so for you, for instance, what I would do is I would put, how did you, I would put, how did you hear about us on your website, right? How many people come to your website and ask to talk to your sales team every month on average? How many, what do you think? I'd say about 45 to 50. Perfect. Okay. So yeah. So run it for 30 days and you're going to get 40 to 50, make it required field free text and see what people say about where they heard about you. Then you're going to have a baseline of data. It's not perfect, but you're going to have 50 responses, one month of data. Then over time, you're going to try and track away from that baseline to have more things that the people say, how did you hear about you be under your control, not just organically happening in the market. So you want more people to say, I heard about you from your podcast. I love your CEO's event. I saw your head of sales on social media. You want more of that and less of, I found you in search. This person told me about you, that type of stuff. So you just want to, it's not, you're going to get all of it, right? You're never going to get a hundred percent podcast. There's going to be stuff. And it's also, it's more directional than a perfect indicator, which I think some people get confused about when I mention this. You just want more of it to be under your control. We have 75% plus come from podcasts and LinkedIn from, for us. Since we have control over, if we want to post more, we can. If we want to get better, that we can. It's harder to control some of the other things where people, people will write search when they just don't, don't know or they didn't heard about you until you started looking. You want more people to know about you before they decide that they want to buy. You want to be the driver of someone deciding they want to buy the solution or your company. That's how yeah, I that's, that's a long-term measurement. Yeah. yeah big piece in this whole conversation around lead generation compared to demand generation. So instead of our SDRs reaching out all the time, what we want is there's so many leads coming in that they're qualifying the leads that are actually coming through the website because people want to speak to us. They are now aware of who we are. Is the, is the question thinking about how we should deploy the SDRs? Yeah, I, th I think so. Uh, the day of the role of an SDR, uh, I think 10 years ago was, was to, to call as many people as possible. Um, mm -hmm. kind of where, whereas now your thoughts on that is flipping on its head is how can we create the right content to get in the hands of the right people so it's quality over quantity how many SDRs do you have right now so we will have four by the end of the year okay perfect so it's not it's, it's still malleable it's a good thing yes, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so um, the place where I think that a lot of SDR teams miss today or are misguided is on the targeting. And so, and prioritizing 
who are we going after and doing it well versus trying to make 150 calls in a day. And so what do I think is the most appropriate use of an SDR role today? I think it's to figure out how to capture demand more effectively. So then the, if that is the assumption, then we need to figure, so people that are already looking to buy are going to be more, way more likely to take a meeting with our sales team than people that aren't, right? So how, what, are the, what are the signals that we, can that we can develop or figure out about when someone is most likely to accept that meeting based on signals that they have? It's not the MQL score that comes from marketing. It's not that they downloaded a piece of content or they came to our trade show booth and got coffee so that we took their lead form. It's thinking about what accounts are on our website, what accounts are looking at review sites, what accounts are searching for our competitors and getting those types of signals and then direct. And then there's a, also a potential. So you have like an intent category. You also have a fit category, right? So like, you have tier one accounts, right? You decide how you define those, but you probably have your like your best accounts. You got your like kind of good accounts, and then you got your like we'll take them, but we're not going to focus any effort or money there. And so, trying to figure out how to blend those two things together, so you have your SDRs working for account like probably your tier two accounts that are showing intent, and then all your tier one accounts or something like that. And then when you take when you focus the targeting, you take down the volume requirement which theoretically should increase the quality depending on the personnel. Um, and so then figuring out how do we just, and then you're going to make less calls. Your conversion to meeting will be way higher. Your cost per meeting should theoretically be way lower because of you only need to make 10, 10 calls or you only have 10 targets to generate a meeting versus a hundred or a thousand. Um, yeah. And then you, you determine the SDR headcount model based on how many accounts hit the signals that are in market. So you will eventually reach a cap that says, okay, we're at six SDRs. We get 120 accounts in market every month. Each SDR can work 20 accounts for that month. Like until we can get another, until we can get that 120 to 140, there's no sense in hiring another SDR. Now we have to, now we have to invest on demand creation. We have to figure out how to push another 40 push the capacity of an SDR. So now they have to work 25 ops instead of 20. And then we know we have to hire another one in. So that's like a very philosophical and theoretical, but, um, that's, so yeah. On, on that kind of thought chain of creating demand, I mean, without giving away your golden recipes as to what you, you know, you, you do as a business, what are some common strategies that you see businesses take on in regards to creating demand? And equally, could you touch on how important potentially a, you know, net new revenue is a team sport over just a commercial function? Yeah. Let me talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. First off, um, can you give me like the two sentence value prop for the company? Let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. So we are, we're a payments company based in the UK uh, and our role is helping optimize businesses when it comes to um, ensuring they're working with the correct payment providers. So uh, as a platform, we want to be the go-to end-to-end solution. Is it like a Stripe or am I misunderstanding this? Exactly what it's like. It's exactly what it's like. See, that's, so, that's demand right there. See, I was yeah, Stripe. You know Stripe. <laughs> you probably never use Stripe, right? So if we take Stripe as an example, um, yeah, we, we are a version of Stripe here in the UK. Understood. Okay. And why, why do you beat Stripe? Sure. And that's a good point, I suppose, if you want to... Like a value pitch on my escalator. <laughs> so why we are, why we are different to Stripe? Um, I think from end to end solutions, Stripe is a great product. First of all, um, the elevator pitch for us is 
bit more customer service um, driven business into ensuring that we're helping optimize businesses, not just for now, but for the future and future growth. Okay. So is it a lower price? Is it a different target audience? Is it a, you know, more scalable, more like, help me like really narrow. It's really important when we think about demand creation to really narrow in on why you win. Yeah, so from us, I want, if I went into more detail, from a multi acquirer strategy, it wouldn't mean much to you. But yeah. if someone said to us, that you guys like Stripe, what do you do? Um, it would definitely be on the customer service piece. It would be on cost. Um, and it would be on ensuring that we understand the customers and what they're trying to achieve, as, as opposed to an AI automated driven onboarding process. Mm-hmm. It's great for speed, um, but we would take our time to really know our customers. Got it. Yeah, so um, thanks for that. Revenue as a team sport is a really interesting concept that I've been thinking about more and more. I just talked about it on the last podcast. If you break up revenue into creating demand, capturing demand, converting demand, and expanding customers, then then you recognize that all the different functions in the company can play their part in those different things, right? The CEO or the head of product could be focused on on creating demand by being the host of the podcast or speaking at an event. They could also be helpful in converting demand by going to a pipeline meeting with a million dollar account that's in stage five, right? So, and you could use, salespeople could go out and create demand. Many smart ones do. Many smart ones are active on LinkedIn. They go to the events and they have meetings where they're not trying to sell someone something and they're just building relationships. Some salespeople host their own podcast just as a method to build relationships. It's all creating demand. And then you can see as either an individual contributor or a functional leader or an executive to see, oh, these are different ways where I could impact any of these four places, four parts of the revenue cycle. And by far, just the most overlooked and the most underfunded is creating demand. The most common two plays to create demand are number one, an organic dark social strategy use a live event that then becomes a podcast and a YouTube video and a video for your website that then gets translated to video and written content for social networks like LinkedIn and others that then give you insights that then decide what the next event is about and just wash, rinse, repeat every week and get better. Every company should be doing that. The second one, which is probably for more more mature organizations that have traction, you're probably on the cusp of this one, but you probably want the organic one first, is to basically build into content all of the stuff that you run in a sales process, but then deliver that to all of your market who's not in market at scale with a, with a tool, like an ad tool like LinkedIn ads. That would be a product demonstration video. The three customer stories that your sales team leans on are the references, reference calls that they, they ask for all the time. Um, key messaging about like if you're switching from a competitor or something like that. Uh, thought leadership overall. So some of the organic content that your CEO talks about that works really well. If I have a post that gets more than a thousand likes, oftentimes we're going to go and pay thousands of dollars to go and distribute that to other people in the market that likely haven't seen it. And so there's a organic strategy that's great for figuring out the perspective at a low cost. And then you have a targeted page strategy, which is great for accelerating stuff that already works. Yeah, that's, that's pretty I mean, I know you're pretty bang on with this stuff, um, but from, I suppose from, from we may have touched on it a little bit, but the kind of big, bigger question that we have is, I think 
where would you I I suppose where would you allocate oh I suppose I, I want to touch on a little bit I don't want to go into I think we've covered it which was the the element of where would you allocate funds in regards to marketing or sales mm-hmm. um but we've, we've already gone into that so I don't I, I don't really want to cover that again I think um, I think for me from the end of this is, is freight and demand is more important than anything right now uh, as a <laughs> yeah. business we're 30 people deep um we want to get to 50 people who are 100 customers deep, we want to get to 300 customers. How do we do that? Uh, it's not just employing more SDRs, it's employing more people who are going to help us create content so that people are coming to us to understand more about what we can do to help them. And and trying, like, I don't, I, I like using this example, but recognize that some people might not resonate with it. Like, looking at it like a full manufacturing facility or something like that, and looking at each part of the process and then determining like, oh, the last part of the process is inefficient because our first part of the process sucks. Like if mm-hmm. we if we have a supply chain vendor, marketing, that comes in and brings leads and 99% of them are shit. So even the ones that get through to the end, we we win less deals, We our win rate is lower because of the first part of the process, not because our sales team sucks. Yes. And so looking at it holistically, and then you can, when you look at converting demand, you can say, what is our quota attainment? What is our sales cycle? What is our win rate? How does that compare against industry benchmarks? How much uh, revenue does a rep bring in relative to their quota? Revenue to OTE, that type of stuff. And then you can look at the, like, how much pipeline do we create in Google ads? What's our pipeline to SDR investment ratio? And compare that against benchmarks. And the first, and then, so the first thing to look at is like, how are we performing against industry benchmarks today? Right. If our sales team were only at 45% quota attainment and it takes us twice as long to sell deals than we should, it takes us 180 days to sell a 30K deal, then maybe scaling sales isn't the right thing to do right now. Right. So it can almost, it can, it can see, help you identify the gaps. It can also help you level set to say, is this function set to scale anyway? So if you did that exercise with the SDR, you might just find that, hey, we need to spend some time getting our SDRs more productive before we go and hire five more. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we, we've recently just launched our podcast, um, which is, is in very, very early days. But the idea behind that was to not necessarily create demand around our products and service, but equally find a way to talk to our target accounts mm-hmm. without having to sell to them. Um, and I think... That seems to be working. We've got to. We're about to set our second episode live. Yes, uh, tomorrow. Um, but the the idea around it was to explore target accounts. Can we get into them? Can we invite them to talk about themselves? It's a common sales tactic. People yeah. love to talk about themselves, right? Um, so, have you got any advice on that, that that we can maybe take that you can potentially distribute further as well around how starting a podcast? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to cover this one. Let's, uh, this was fun. Let's get another 30 minutes in a couple of weeks. So go and work with the stuff that, that we talked about right now. Um, mm-hmm. And then let's, let's do another 30 minutes. I'm happy to help a little bit more. It's going to be useful for you. It's helpful for me to talk through it. And it's helpful for the audience. So I'd love to do it again. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Great to meet you both. Talk to you soon. Cheers, Take care.